everyone, and welcome to episode 62 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. This is your host, Trevor Sheridan of AppAdvice.com, and joining me, as usual, is my co-host, Brett Nolan of AppAddict.net. Join us this week as we start seeing red from going colorblind while sneaking into the App Store. How are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing very good. I like sneaking in the App Store. There's uh, lots, lots of stuff to play with in there. Yeah, lots to uncover as you... <laughs> jump around and find all these little pieces and before we get into the app store apple had some news this week the first being that they released product red version of the iphone 8 and the iphone 8 plus so you can now it actually looks really cool just from the screenshots and everything of the red version of the iphone 8 but also it does go to support trying to get rid of aids across the globe yeah, yeah, it's always cool to have the, that extra color there, and then the fact that it is going to a good cause uh, is always a bonus. Yeah, I'm surprised how slick it looks in red. Usually the product red versions, they it's not like a shiny red, it's more like a matte red. So to see the actual like glossy red finish is pretty cool on the iPhone 8. Yeah, well, the back of the 10 is kind of that glossy color, too. So I think even if they had gone and made a 10 as well, you would have had that really glossy finish. Uh, so, yeah, it, last year's was that matte, like, kind of muted tone. I kind of like that, but I cover everything with a case anyway, so it would get covered up. But maybe they should be selling, like, a special red edition of the case as well, just to, to get those people that already have phones, and maybe they will. Especially since they didn't make a red iPhone X, a case for the iPhone X would make sense. Yep. And so, also, Apple announced that they're now reached 100% renewable energy status for their entire operations around the globe. So it's not just, you know, their brand new Apple Park. It's everything. It's the retail stores, office space, data centers, all their facilities spread across 43 countries now are 100% renewable energy. Yeah, that's really cool. Like you could see where they were building that the Apple, the new Apple site all from scratch. They could easily kind of get well, maybe not easily, but they could get it done there. But for them to be able to do this everywhere worldwide is really impressive because of all the differences and probably regulations and cultures and everything they need to all the hoops they need to jump through to get this done. That is super impressive. And now Apple's trying to work with their suppliers to get on board. So right now they have commitments to 23 of their suppliers to do the same fight towards renewable energy. And they just need to kind of get the last few big ones. So that way not only does Apple do everything renewable, but every piece that goes into your phone or Mac does too. Yeah, I mean, and they're leading by example. So if they want the, the companies that give them parts to do this as well they've done it now so they have information they can share with these companies and help them to transition to these 100 percent renewable plants yep and so that's the nice positive outlook on apple the pr spin of product <laughs> red aids and 100 percent renewable energy awesome job by apple <laughs> yes it's always good news this week for apple so yep and so that means it's time for some apps and the first one this week is called Lifecraft. It's a journal app. There's plenty of those. Personally, I use day one, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to try a new one. And so Lifecraft has a very similar feature set to day one where you can add pictures. It supports iCloud Sync. And then you can 
have a clear list view of all the different pictures and journal entry dates. The main kind of differentiators, one is that you can add emotions to your post. So you can be, you know, are you depressed? Are you happy? You can mark it down to more cheerfulness, joyfulness, relief. You can split that happiness up. But then also there's kind of like this personal AI built in that can give you writing prompts. So part of the toughest way to get a journal going is you don't know what to write. It's not always easy, especially if you're starting a journal from scratch. And so the app gives you writing prompts to let you kind of just focus, you know, sit back and contemplate for five minutes about what you did, you know, a time that you drift to or whatever. And then you just start writing about it without trying to kind of self-edit yourself or censor yourself. And then that can kind of get the ball rolling to get into the app. But with any journal app, it still comes down to you. You have to want to do it. If you don't want to do it, it doesn't matter if you have the best journal app in the world. But at least this one has the tools in place. So if you are looking for a journal app, it really covers everything you could want. Yeah, I, I don't tend to use a journal app, but I did like that whole Z assistant thing where they because that's one of the things I didn't like. What am I going to write in a journal where this thing kind of gives you ideas of where to start and what to do, which is a great way, because that's probably the biggest detractor for most people. And then just keeping up with it on a daily basis is the other hard part. That whole emotion tree thing that you mentioned that they have in there too, that's really neat because that kind of shows you, if you use it honestly, it would show you a trend in your posts. And maybe you happen to notice like most of the time I'm happy, but maybe 20% of the time I'm sad or, or I'm bored or some other emotion is in there and you get this nice colorful kind of spread that shows you exactly how many of your posts match those different emotions and you can kind of see over time that maybe you shift or maybe uh, there is this thing that maybe you should seek some professional help if you're always depressed or something maybe you should see someone about it but until you get your thoughts down and you're honest and fill this out you might not even realize this and it's worth noting the app uses as a sub- subscription model, so it's a dollar forty nine a month or it's fourteen ninety nine a year, and essentially most of the features are behind that subscription based model. Whether it's iCloud syncing, the emotion tracking, the intelligent assistant, the ability to add tags and have unlimited kind of hierarchy journals, so you can have journals for different topics. So all that stuff is kind of the pro version, but. It is a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, it has AES-256 encryption, so you can keep all your journal entries secure. And that intelligent assistant and emotion tracking are kind of the main differentiators of a bunch of journal apps in the App Store. So you can try it for free for 30 days. Can the intelligent assistant get you into that journal writing mood? Do you take advantage and are you honest with that emotion tracking? And then if you are, $1.49 a month is not that bad at all for a journal. Yeah, it's some cheap therapy. So, yeah. and plus, you don't have to worry. It it that whole password. They do not keep a copy of your password. So your biggest fear would be that you forget what your password is because they have no way of getting it back for you. So it's put in there. It's encrypted, and they don't know your password. So no one else is reading this content. It's all just for you or whoever you happen to share this password with. Yep. And so that's Lifecraft. It's free. It's universal. 
And that means it's time for some games. And the first one this week is called Never Stop Stink Sneaking. It comes from well, Never Stop Stinking is good just like us. <laughs> <laughs> but Never Stop Sneaking is it comes from the makers of Dust and Elysian Tale, and it has a similar kind of just deluxe pedigree offering for iOS. As the name implies, it's gonna be a stealth based game, though they've done an interesting kind of design decision in that there's just essentially one touch controls. You drag your finger on the left side of the screen and that's it. That's the entirety of the game. They've made every action and switch trigger all done automatically or at least done based on moving to certain points in the game. So, you know, you have guards moving about. They have their little cone of vision you want to avoid and then get behind them to take them out stealthily. Or you can kind of get right, get the drop on them in their own line of vision and your character will fire automatically and take them out with a gun. And then there's various kinds of like hackable computers and key card codes that you just go to this little green circle with little footprints and you leave your character there for a second or so and that unlocks it. So rather than having this whole button array on the right side of the screen, your actions are all triggered, they're context sensitive to the world around you. And at first, I'm going through the levels and I'm like, okay, this makes this style of game super easy. But as you get into it, the way they've done the procedurally generated maps, it actually isn't that easy because they have these boss battles and kind of overlapping sequences of guards. It would be nice if the guards had more AI, they're more responsive where when one guard sees you, the other guards come running to that point, or if the security cameras get you, the guards kind of dash to that point. It's more like each one is kind of a standalone point, so there is easiness in that, but it's surprisingly in-depth for having a one-touch control in this stealth-based adventure setup. Yeah, I was a little nervous too, where it seems like they kind of did a lot of the work for you. You still have to sneak around, and you still have to sneak up, hopefully behind the guard so you can take them out with their sword, rather than using your limited resources of EMP grenades and bullets and other limited resource type things. The one thing I did notice was, because I wasn't necessarily triggering them myself, it knew which ones to use. But I didn't I wasn't always cognizant of how much ammo I had left or how many of these EMP grenades I had left because they were just kind of firing off on their own. And I I wasn't the one hitting the button to use them. You do know that you used it, so, but it was just I kind of lost track of things, although it did seem to kind of give you the things you needed in some of these like storage things. Like if I use an EMP grenade and I have a whole bunch more of these uh cameras coming up it kind of was feeding me those i don't know if it would normally just feed you that or if it's supposed to be random but it seemed to always kind of give you what you needed that's not to say that it was like all hands off i love the the boss battles were interesting they kind of give you little hints of how to defeat the boss the story itself is absolutely hilarious i mean it's the whole premise of the game is that this evil guy has traveled back in time and kidnapped all of the u.s presidents and he wants to become president forever and you have to agree to that if you want your presidents back and so you now have to try to build up a base and then also try to build your own time machine to stop this from happening and 
it's just this absurd premise, but it, it works in the in the tone of the game, and it's it's a lot of fun, and it is a decent stealth based game because you are having to sneak around and there'll be times where you have to wait on those little platforms but the camera's swinging around so you might have to get off of it and then try to time it just perfectly so the camera's not going to come around and hit you before you finish triggering this particular item so there is a lot of thought and maneuvering around that you have to do to pull off all of your stealth moves yeah so as i was getting into it the only kind of problem i don't know if it was just me but i felt like i wouldn't be patient enough in the sneaking part with the regular guards and so i would end up getting shot or something because i usually in these games you have to be super slow and methodical this game it's more free-flowing and it's more kind of action-paced so you have it more almost like a third-person shooter type of idea where you're going kind of guns blazing idea it's just instead of using your gun, you're getting into position to take out those guards as quickly as possible. So I lost a few hearts doing that, and it wasn't necessarily the difficulty of the game. It's just it was so pushing you to kind of a pacing where it was so boring if you went slow that you kind of moved past your own means and made a few mistakes. Yeah, I did that a few times as well, where you kind of get into it because you see these people there and you're like, I could wait for him to to do his whole movement all over again but you know what i really don't feel like waiting i just want to progress through and so yeah i lost a few hearts but you pick up hearts so you can pick up shields that protect you and then when you do those emps like a whole pile of stuff all gets blown up all at once so there there's a lot of times where you can save yourself even though you only may have one heart left. You can usually finish things and be okay. You might just at that point have to use a little more caution. But you can throw caution to the wind and, and just go after it sometimes if you want. Yeah, and the game is also interesting. I mentioned it. It's that it's procedurally generated levels. Usually in these games, it's a specific path to go through. Now, you just go into a level. You try to earn as much of the ESP currency as you can and then if you die you can still use that currency that you gain to upgrade your bunker because the main kind of story progression is the different tiers of upgrading your bunker so you're just going to keep going on different missions different challenges all set up based on that quick action idea so it's really a different way to play a stealth game where it pushes you just to play these kind of quick levels that's completely differently set up and then go back out make sure you just earn the currency. So you want to take out the enemies, build up a combo of killing enemies as quickly in sequence as possible. And those boss battles, even if you don't beat them, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You don't earn as much as you could, but this whole kind of time travel mechanic lets you just restart, but it's a brand new level sequence. It's not, oh, I had to go through the same exact level. So it keeps things fresh and keeps you intrigued to want to keep going back and playing the game. Right, and and because of all the way they've set it up, it works perfectly on mobile or for you to hop in and out and maybe you just do part of a level, uh, but you can continue later and finish that level. So it's all set up for perfect mobile gameplay between that single-handed controls and these kind of chunked out levels that they have. Yep, and so that's Never Stop Sneaking. It's two ninety nine. it's Universal. And then there's Colorblind and Eye for an Eye. It comes from Natromi, who they made a bunch of games for iOS and I think 
their best games have come down to be the platformers like Leap Day or Silly Sausage and Meatland or Gunbrick. Those ones are their definite standouts. And Colorblind, it goes to that idea. It's a puzzle platformer that is all about color. So essentially, there were two eyes. You play as the right eye, and the left eye was kidnapped. And in doing so, you're now colorblind. So the entire world is in black and white. But there's these little paintbrushes. You pick those up, and that brings these different platforms to life. So there'll be kind of these silhouetted outlines of blue blocks, where if you jump on them, you'll fall right through to spikes below. But if you get the blue paintbrush, you can now see in blue, and then you can land and walk on those platforms. And the entire game is built on picking up different colors, and then you can go through waterfalls that cleans the color off, so then you can then fall through platforms you need to to reach lower levels, and just it builds upon the mechanics just of activating colors, activating the world, and trying to proceed through it. Yeah, it it gets pretty tricky pretty quickly, especially if you're someone who likes to collect everything. Like, you don't want to yeah. miss any of the coins, because some of the coins, you'll have to be that certain, you'll have to have that certain color paint on you in order to see those coins to be able to grab those coins. And sometimes you have to have some really fine motor skills to, like, land these these certain jumps so you don't hit the waterfall and wipe off that paint before you can hit the coin and collect the coin. The nice thing is once you've collected a coin, even if you die and you go back to a checkpoint, that coin has still been collected. You don't have to try to recollect that coin. So you can go back and replay and collect everything. It's just some of them are pretty tricky to collect, and you have to have just the right combination of the colors on, as well as the skills to be able to pull off these kind of tricky moves. The game can be a bit frustrating if you are a completionist to get some of those coins are in nearly impossible sequences or you have to pull off just the precision run. But it does have that classic Natromi style of the checkpoint, the activated coin-based checkpoints, where you can place for a certain sequence and then it costs four coins. You Now if you die, you go to this point rather than the entire restarted level so that definitely helps out with the coin challenge but if you just want to kind of complete the levels pick up the coins as you go those checkpoints cost coins so it's kind of a give and take idea for that but it's surprisingly enjoyable it seems kind of simple on the difficulty pretty quickly with multiple paint colors activated at once and really specific kind of jump patterns and timing sequences to pull off where there'll be these little tiny platforms to reach or these new obstacles, moving obstacles that get into place that are colored. So you see up ahead, you need these orange blocks to land on, but the monster is also orange. Or say you still had yellow and you weren't able to wash it off and the monsters are in yellow. So if you wash it off, then you could just walk right through those monsters and land on the orange blocks. But often you won't be able to wash off the existing color. So the new color is painted in and you have to deal with the obstacles at the same time. Right, right. Yeah, that's where it gets... Once all the things start combining, that's where it gets really crazy. Now, do you did you ever play a game called Super Happy Fun Block? It was no. kind of a similar style. It was a, also a platformer where that one you only switch between clear, blue, and red. But you have the similar thing where certain blocks were only 
you could go on them only when you were a certain color. So you had to keep flipping between certain colors. This one, the color kind of stays on you until you find a spot where there's water, where the, the Super Happy Fun Block, you could kind of switch things anytime. Where I almost found this more difficult because you were limited as to when you could flip things on and off and you didn't have as much control because you it may be a while before you run into an area where you can erase the things and you had to figure out the timing just perfect in order to access everything. And you didn't get to do all this kind of trial and error because it was out of your hands as to when you'd hit the water. Right. I haven't played that one. This one more reminded me of like Chameleon Run or It's Full of Sparks and a more methodical because those are both kind of action platformers this is more puzzle platformer but even ovivo it's only black and white but it's still that same kind of color switch idea yeah yeah but really this is what you know nitromi they've had a few less than stellar releases over the past <laughs> few months and this this one goes back to kind of what they know well what they do well and it, it's a really fun game yep yeah i agree this is definitely one of the better releases and so that's Colorblind, an eye for an eye. It's free, it's universal. And then there's Ava Airborne, which this is a style you've definitely seen before. It's kind of built on that flinging, launching idea where you start at a fixed point and you blast out of a cannon, you pull back a slingshot and you launch your character and try to go as far as you possibly can. Along the way, there's obstacles in the skies, there's boosts in the sky, there's boosts on the ground, and it's just kind of trying to keep bettering your run each and every time by getting different upgrades and that whole kind of upgrade cycle, you know, like a burrito bison or something like that. And so Ava Airborne's that game. It's not going to break molds or really change up that much, but it's a really super highly polished version of it with a free-flowing nature. Ava has a little hang glider. At least that's what she starts on. And it just comes down to that one-tap, one-touch idea where you hold the screen to rise, release, to drop down, and then there's all kinds of crazy things in the sky, including cannons and bumpers and toxic balloons and lasers and just all kinds of things. Interestingly, one neat twist is that if you hit something bad, you can tap the screen really quickly, and that can kind of get Ava back on track. If you can tap it quick enough before she hits the ground, her hang glider comes back out, and you can then coast back up into the air for to extend your run and that kind of changes it out because it doesn't feel like a run is ever finished right yeah I, I definitely appreciate that second chance mechanic that they had for me I kind of preferred Burrito Bison. I This one, I, I, well, I guess Burrito Bison is pretty chaotic, too. This one I just felt was a little too chaotic that yeah, I felt you had way. some control, but it was just too bumping into anything and everything. And even when you thought you had control, something would just randomly come into the screen, which would hit you, and then you'd have to quickly do the tapping again. I just felt like I was always playing catch-up, trying to save myself and I, I don't know, I just didn't enjoy it. I mean, the this was developed by LaserDog, who put out Puck, Hopico, and Alone. And I enjoyed their previous stuff more than I did this. The, I, I don't know, just something about this, I, I just, I found it more tedious than fun, but I could definitely see where it would have appeal for some people, but for me, it, it just didn't click. Yeah, I think it's that they don't give you enough foresight on the screen where 
things just come right upon you. You're like hang gliding, just nice and easy in the toxic balloon. It's like you didn't even somehow give me a glimpse that there was a toxic balloon. I had like point zero zero one milliseconds to react to that toxic balloon appearing or that laser appearing. Where even a game like Alone that they made, it's a super fast paced cave flyer, but it doesn't feel like it's ever things like these got you occurrences that appear on the screen because once you launch off, it turns into that jetpack joyride style cave flyer and you need to have kind of the screen extended out enough where you can have some kind of maneuverability. You can try to plan out your actions. Instead, in this game, you're just reacting to things that there's no way you could prepare for. Right, right. Maybe if they panned out the action a little bit, where I I could see we're on a phone, that would be terrible just because everything would be way too small. But it just felt like they needed to pan out just a little bit to give you a little of that foresight of what's coming. Then you felt like you were more in control. And maybe that was the whole point. Maybe they wanted you to feel like this was so chaotic and out of control. But I just felt like that kind of took away from the fun of it where if I felt like I could actually perform and try and do these tricks to save myself, rather than whatever I do, I'm screwed. It just, it seemed, it didn't seem fair. Yeah, even, so the first couple runs I got around 1,000, and then this run I got 5,000 on, and I must have hit an obstacle at least 10 times in that run. (laughs) But somehow when I was falling, I would tap quick enough, or I'd hit one of those bouncing pads on the ground just by pure luck. It wasn't like I had any skill in doing that. Or I'd get a cannon just like right before I smashed in the ground. And so I got over 5,000. And I don't think I did anything different or special than all the other runs that I failed at. Right. You just got lucky. Yep. And that, yep. that shouldn't be the qualification of a good run in any game. No. No. And so that's Ava Airborne. It's free. It's universal. And then to round out the new games is Ghost Pop which is a quick action arcade style game which would have been perfect kind of a halloween time the idea is that you play little red riding hood she has a flashlight and ghosts are coming at you you tap on the screen and then drag your finger around to use your flashlight you try to hit the ghost with your flashlight beam and that gets rid of them as you go there's kind of these bosses that send all types of waves of ghosts at you there's more bigger badder ghosts that take a longer flashlight beam or powerful beam to get rid of them And then after each run, you earn coins. Those coins can upgrade the length of your beam, the power of your beam, and the the length of your battery. So the battery mechanics, the most challenging aspect of the game, because the flashlight can only run for as long as battery has. So you can't just hold your finger on the screen and just have your flashlight and drag it back and forth. You have to keep taking your finger off the screen to conserve battery, because as soon as you remove your finger, it replenishes back to 100%. So it's this constant balance of, putting out just enough flashlight to get rid of the ghosts and not being overrun. But then if you do get that battery down to 0%, there's quite a delay. You're going to be overrun by the time your battery regenerates if you go to 0%. Right. It's the battery that was my biggest problem with this game. I don't mind that mechanic where they're forcing you to take your finger off the screen to conserve battery, let it recharge, and push it down. My biggest problem with the game was... When you press down your finger, the beam doesn't go right where you put your finger. So it's not like you're aiming the flashlight by putting your finger somewhere on the screen. It's going to aim wherever you might have left it off the last yeah. time. <laughs> then you're going to kind of drag your finger around. and But you're not going to necessarily remember 
exactly where you left it the last time. So odds are you're going to turn it the wrong way or you're not going to be turning it enough. Then the ghosts are going to get you. And it's not because you weren't trying to get them. It's because the thing didn't aim where you wanted it to aim. To me, if I lift my finger and push it back down, it should aim exactly where my finger goes down because that's where I want. I'm putting my finger there because that's where I want the beam to aim. And so that, I just found it super frustrating that that's the reason I was dying. And then I couldn't sweep it over fast enough once I realized where it was aiming instead. Yeah, I, the exact same thing happened. I mean, you can try to deal with that the best you can. But if you, there's a ghost off to the left and you, you take your finger off the screen, you killed it. And now there's one coming on the right and you put your finger down, it's going to start at the left, and then you have to drag it all the way back over to that right. And once you're in those boss battles and stuff, that however long a delay is going to cost you when there's like 30 ghosts flowing right towards you. And I don't know why they did that. It's no, really a yeah. weird design decision. Well, especially because in your the scenario you mentioned where you just shot to the, you just aimed to the left. Now you put your finger down the right, and you need to get the beam over to the right. You don't have a lot of screen real estate yeah. to drag your finger, so you're not going to get it over in time. And there's a lot of sequences where they're coming at you super fast, and so you're not going to necessarily be able to aim fast enough to get them if you have to do this big sweeping motion. I guess it's kind of I don't know. It's kind of makes it more accurate. real world where you have to. No, because if you had a flashlight and you pointed it to the left, your natural position would be to drop your hand straight down. So it would be back in the center and then you would reach your arm back out to the right or left or whatever the case. You wouldn't right. hold your hand out to the left and just walk around like that. Well, odds are, if you were if you were really doing this in real life, you would have that beam out and you'd just be sweeping it left and right, left and right, left and right the whole time to get whatever. Like, you wouldn't even be aiming. You'd just be like, I just want light everywhere so nothing comes near me. Yeah. But I definitely agree. And it's weird because there's been so many games kind of a similar idea, and they've built you into the idea where you tap to aim. I don't know how many iOS games are like that. Probably thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, have ideas like that. So to go against that kind of built-in mechanic and muscle memory of players in ga a game is just a weird idea. Right. If you're going to do that, put a, a virtual stick on the screen so people know that that's how it works. Don't have it so you can just tap on the screen because that's your natural inclination to do that and aim exactly where your finger goes. And then, of course, the game is endless, so it has boss battles, but once you lose, you then have to play through the same exact sequence, the same boss just to get back up to the point where you died to then get to the second boss. It's not like, I beat the first boss, I can now start from here at that tougher difficulty. They don't set that up. And then, since it's free to play, there's all kinds of coin ads, things in your face. It's like, I just want to play the game. Actually, speaking of which, Colorblind had a couple annoyances where I'm in the middle of a level, and I don't know if the ads were delayed or something, but... You tap to jump, and there's an ad just in your face, like right in the <laughs> middle. Like he's in the air, jumping from one platform to another, and there's an ad that pops up. I don't think that happened to me. <laughs> That's I crazy. I don't know what it was. Because I was on Wi-Fi. I don't know what the delay was for the ad pop-up. But it happened a couple times in a couple different play sessions. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that would be annoying. <laughs> yep. And so 
back to Ghost Pop. It's free. It's universal. And then I know this past, this past weekend you were at PAX East. Yes, so this year, PAX East, it's held every year in Boston, and this year was a four-day gaming event, so I'm exhausted, because it was a long event, but the nice thing about uh, PAX East is, well, pretty much all the PAX events is they have pretty much anything that you could want, so they have PC, they have console, they have mobile, they have tabletop gaming, any kind of gaming you could want, you can find something that you want, which is a great thing, because as I discussed last year, it seemed like there was that whole transition of a lot of developers going from mobile over to PC, because that's where the money was, they were looking at PC, they were looking at VR, this year even more of them were now looking at doing stuff for the Switch, but it meant that overall this year's crop of iOS titles or mobile gaming titles were fairly lackluster, I'll say. Other, The only category where there was a lot and it was really good stuff was digital board games, which happens to be one of my favorite genres anyway, so that was great for me. Uh, but even those, they weren't solely on mobile. They were PC port. They were on PC, mobile, and I don't think any of them were on console. But as one day digital, who we've talked about here on here quite a few times, they were there. They had uh, PC versions that they were showing off, but all of these for the most part, are all coming to mobile as well. So they had a build of Stonemaier Games' beautiful-looking uh, area control game called Scythe, and then they also had Terraforming Mars, and then one other one which has not yet been announced for mobile because of they'd have to adjust the kind of UI for it, is Fantasy Flight's Lord of the Rings Living Card Game, which it was a, it's a really nice take on like these collectible card games because you don't get random packs when you buy additional cards you get these kind of preset packs so everyone's buying the same cards and they said the whole economy of the game will all be able to use like this in-game currency so you'll never actually have to use real money unless you're someone who wants to like speed up things otherwise you can always unlock everything you can unlock new additional content when the new content comes out you'll be able to play the first part of it for free and then if you want the whole thing, you pay to unlock it, but you use the same game currency, which you can earn just through gameplay. And then also Catan VR, which I mentioned after PAX Unplugged was there, and that is now out on Steam and on uh, Android Gear, uh, Gear VR. You can play it on that, and that is like a super cool experience where it feels like you're sitting down in front of a board and are actually you can play it remotely with other people. So if you can't get together, you can pretty much play board games all together. And then North Star Games was there with the latest digital port, the latest build of their digital port of Evolution, which I backed on Kickstarter. So I already have a test flight build of this, and it's coming along great. And finally, there was the Dresden Files cooperative game. A cooperative card game which just came out in January on mobile and I finally got I hadn't played it yet and it's just a husband and wife team that are developing that and they've done a fantastic job the game was super fun and I immediately picked it up as soon as I I left their booth I hopped on and bought it because it was a, it was a lot of fun normally you play it cooperatively but in this mobile version, a single player gets to play three different characters, and this is all based on the Dresden Files book series. 
Uh, and then Drop Mix was another one that I saw. And if you're not familiar with Drop Mix, that kind of combines a physical element of physical cards and you're basically mixing music. But then there's also a whole card game that's within there where you're battling other players for to kind of reach a... It's almost like a tug of war where you're trying to reach a total score at... Uh, one player has to reach a score first. And then they have a few other game modes. They had just launched a new update to the app because you run a app on your tablet or on your phone that is the one that's the thing that has all of the the cards that you've downloaded that you purchased and then they those physical cards you kind of use qr codes to scan them in and the board that's how it knows which cards you're playing and all of the content resides on your ipad with all the music and then after you've played a game that mix that you've made so every card that you're putting down is adjusting this kind of song mix that you're playing going as as you play it keeps changing and you can record out that whole sound mix to share with other people or listen to later and at the show they had a couple of special promo cards one was like a uh, gi joe theme which was awesome and the other one was a uh based on a game by supergiant games who are the ones that put out bastion and transistor and that game is pyre i don't think it's coming on mobile yet but they have a theme from that as well and then both PUBG and Fortnite, which we just talked about recently, they were both there, but not with mobile. They had big tournaments going uh, for those. Streaming seemed to be a big thing at PAX East, where they had three different companies there, Twitch, Facebook Gaming, and Mixer, all doing streaming stuff. And other, back to the, where we had mobile development studios kind of shifting to PC, Killhouse Games, which put out the tactical strategy game door knockers that we talked about a while back because it was released back in 2015 they were there with like a whole new entry in their door knocker series called door not uh, door kickers called door kickers action squad where they shifted to like this pc couch co-op 16-bit side-scrolling action game instead of like the tactical game but it, it was just more of this where you see the shift to kind of pc and the popular items on pc whether we'll get a port of that as well i don't know for ios uh vr was huge there there was a Catan vr which i already mentioned there was a jousting game where each player was kind of on one side, you sat on like a saddle and you each had your VR rig and then you're going at each other. You each have a different weapon. You're trying to swipe at the other person or, or stab them with a spear and you do it until one of the players gets knocked out and there's a couple rounds. Meanwhile, other people on an app on their phone can cheer you on, tell you which weapons you should choose. They can put up emojis and stuff that you see flying across your screen so they can cheer you on. They can give thumbs up, thumbs down if you're doing well. So so it's kind of for those people sitting around waiting for their turn they use the app as they're like or it was just a web page i think you end up going to where you could use your phone to kind of still be part of the action and then uh finally the last bit was tabletop board gaming where restoration games who has an app out for all of their board games so they have one for down for it's a single app and it ties into all of their various board games so they use it for 
things like keeping score. They use it for adding content to the board game, like uh, voices and stuff that can be played during the games. And so they have all this, this app is constantly changing based on new content that they're adding to a physical board game. So there they had their new tracks for a, a racing board game called Downforce. And they also had this highly anticipated only existing prototype for Fireball Island, which is a reboot of an a 1980s cult classic giant game where you're racing around an island trying to take pictures and fireballs are coming out of this evil tiki at the top of the mountain he's spitting them out trying to knock players over and they it's on kickstarter right now and they're up over one and a quarter million dollars and they just unlocked a app component to that game as well which allow you to do kind of speed runs so lots of content there ios side was a little bit kind of eh but overall there is so much content there that there's a ton to see and do and now it's a four-day con so you can spend a lot of time gaming Whew. yeah and so what do you think was your absolute favorite so my absolute favorite was actually a vr game and it was called pixel ripped and you played as this little girl and you were in there and you had a mobile gaming device. So it kind of looked like like a Nintendo, like the old wide uh, Nintendo with the buttons on the sides. And the 3DS and stuff? Yeah, the 3DS, but even before that, like the, I forget what that one was called. Because then they're kind of hanging off the side. But yeah, a 3DS is good enough. And so it's in, um, so you're playing this game and you are basically playing the game to save the world. And the world is all, you can see the world around you. It's all falling apart. And you're playing this little black and white game on this little mobile device in VR. So you see this, it looks like you're holding this little mobile gaming device. And you're trying to play that. And then at one point, you end up in school. And your teacher's in the front. It's this crotchety old woman. She's telling you to put away your gaming device. But you need to save the world. So you're trying to play this gaming device. She's looking at you. You got to try to play while she's not looking at you. So she's teaching the class. She can't catch you. Otherwise, you lose lose a life. And so you have to keep on leaning over and grabbing this little spitball and triggering other things in the classroom that distract her for a little bit. So then you can shift your focus back to the game to hopefully save the world. Otherwise, the world's gonna you're gonna lose. But meanwhile, you can't let her catch you, otherwise you're going to lose. So there's so many elements you're kind of like dealing with all at once. But it feels like you're there trying to play this game and trying to avoid her. It was just so cool and different and unique that I loved it. Sounds good. And, you know, I I felt the same way at GDC of just kind of that push not push away from mobile but just not an emphasis on mobile like it might come to mobile eventually but we're going to focus on steam or you know console arcade releases first right yeah because there was even a point and click adventure game which they've been showing for years that was that it was there again it was one of their indie showcase and i asked them about the mobile releases that's still happening and like well we're gonna be bringing it to the pc first then and consoles and then we'll bring it to mobile and there was another game called dance floor kids that i first saw it and it was only on mobile and now now it's switch only is the only platform they were showing it on. So they they completely shifted and went away. So yeah, it's kind of disappointing that the the mobile is kind of getting 
short shafted, but we'll see. Uh, hopefully things will turn around and we'll see more. Uh, or best, I guess best we can hope for is a lot of these PC titles will get ports eventually because we saw this last year that a lot of PC stuff came to mobile and hopefully we'll see that again this year. Yep. And so I think that's everything for episode 62. Yep, that's all I got. To everyone listening, we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.